Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Today, I want you to hear another kingdom voice that's gonna bring us in uh, to the word today. And y'all can welcome uh, John Avant, and he's gonna share the word with us today. So yeah, come on, John. How's everybody doing? There's, uh, there's no place that I'd rather share than, than here because this is my home. This is my family. And uh, I always feel kind of bad because um, I'm not, not here as much as, as most of you uh, because, uh, as, as some of you know, uh, I lead a ministry called Life Action. It's based in Michigan, but, but uh, we travel constantly. In fact, we're headed to the airport as soon as we're finished tonight. Uh, pray for us. We got a meeting of leaders coming from all over the country and a couple of other countries saying, what do we do now? Like, what do we do now? Really, I thought today, it's almost like what I'm about to preach to you, teach to you. It's like, what do we, what do, we do about what I'm about to tell you? So it's, it's exciting, but it's, it's grueling, and we, we need support. We need a family, and we, we have that, and it's you. So um, we're a part of this family. We love it. Thank, every time that I'm not speaking somewhere else, uh, I'm, I'm here, and usually I'm just sitting right, right over here with my kids and grandkids and just being a, a part of the family. So if you don't see me as much and Don as much and know us, just know uh, when we're not here, we still love you and you're still our family. We're praying for you all the time. <clears throat> um, this is a really fresh word uh, on my heart. Donna's gonna help me a little bit too. It's really a fresh word on both of our, of our, of our hearts for this day. Uh, we really need to see what God is doing in the world and what he's preparing to do and what we should do about it. Because these are really, really testing, trying, strange times. <clears throat> you know, I, I think for, for most of you that are relatively young, we love what God is doing here with so many young, young adults in this church. Um, you, you don't have memory of a time <clears throat> where you were, every day you knew, <clears throat> you know, we're in a really dangerous time in history. <clears throat> I mean, there, there's, there could be world war, you know? It, it's, it's not something we normally be, we've, we've, we've known that could happen, you know, all of our lives, but it's not something we think about, and now we do, right? And, 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 but of course, we've had no other tension in our lives, so it's okay to have a little now, right? We've had nothing else strange going on in the world. I mean, the whole world seems to just kind of be unraveling, and now we got this war, and it is so crucial that we see that we really see with spiritual eyes what God is doing and what he's getting ready to do in the world. Otherwise, we can be eaten alive by anxiety and stress every moment of every day. And that's not what God, God wants for us. And we need to see. I love this story. I don't know, I don't know if you've heard it. It's, it's not a new story. In fact, I think it happened a couple of decades ago, and I'd never heard it until a few weeks ago. Uh, there was an NFL ref named Tommy Bell. He was, uh, I think he's from Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, he, was, he was refing a game with the Kansas City Chiefs, and they had a tight end named Fred Arbonis, and, uh, and the ref sees Fred Arbonis just head on collision, boom, with this, this defensive guy, and Fred Arbonis' eye popped out on the field. Now, it's real. His eye popped out onto the field, and the ref is, there's an eye, an eyeball, 
on the football field, you know? And he watches, and Fred Arbonis is looking at it. He goes over, and he, he picks it up and wipes it off like this and sticks it back in. It, it was a glass eye, all right? It was a glass eye. So at the end of the game, the referee goes, goes to Fred Arbonis, and he goes, man, he said, I, I have never seen anything like that. He goes, yeah, I guess it's a little odd to see if somebody's eye pop out on the field. He goes, yeah, that's kind of strange, he said, but it made me admire you for playing football with one eye. He said, man, what in the world would you do if you lost the other eye? And he goes, well, then I'd become a referee like you. <laughs> Oh, that is one of the best stories I've ever heard. But uh, if, if, if all we do is turn on the news, we're going to be blind ourselves to what God is really doing in the world and think that, that, that some guy in Russia controls history? Are we serious? If we think that way, we ought to be full of anxiety and fear and every other kind of dread it would just wash over us, but we need to see we need to see what God is doing in the world, and we can. Title of this message, <clears throat> something that till the Lord gave me and really my wife as well, this word, uh, I, don't, I haven't preached on this subject in quite some time, and there's something wrong with that, really. Title of, of this message is why the second coming matters so much today. Why the second coming someday, we don't know when, matters so much on this day. I was blessed to come to Jesus in the middle of what we call a revival. Now, some of you are new to the faith. Man, it's so thrilling to see what God is doing, bringing people new to the faith here. And the word revival, it's, we, Don and I are in a ministry that we seek revival. The, the word is simple, really. It just means life again. It means life again. And God's people regularly go through seasons where we need life again. You can read about it all through the Bible, where God showers his love and showers his love, and, and his, his people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, and, and, and then now we say the, the church, God's people all across the world, and showers his love, showers his love, and, and we say, you know what, that's, this guy, that's good. God, I'm glad you love me. I've got some other stuff to do, but I'll, you know, every, when I can, I'll be back to check you out on Sunday every now and then, and we go our way. And that's been the history of God's people over and over. And God says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then finally he goes, listen, you got two choices. You can go your own way and that always leads to disaster. Or, or you can allow me to revive you, to give you life again, life new. And we've seen that in, in this nation several times where God has literally saved our nation through great national movements. And I, I came to Jesus as a part of one of those movements. And some of you have heard me tell before, but I don't know that I'll ever speak here and not say it because there's all these new people here that there was a man who was preaching and somebody invited me to come to church and I had no interest in going to church whatsoever. Uh, I, I didn't have any interest in religion, anything like that. Um, but I, I went because it was a pretty girl that invited me. That's the only reason I went, all right? And, and I, I, she wasn't interested in, in, in dating me. She was interested in my soul because she knew I was a wreck. What I didn't know was a movement called the Jesus Movement was on. Now, I'm just curious. This is not a, a test. How many of you have heard of the movement called the Jesus Movement? Raise your hands. Okay, some of you have. Listen, there's a movie coming out, I think next year, called The Jesus Revolution. Everybody here go. 
I just I know a lot about it. You've got to go and see it. We can't lose the history of what happened. How many of you have heard of the hippies from the 60s? All right, everybody's heard of the hippies, right? Well, in the late 60s, all the way through uh, 76, 77, hippies started coming to Jesus in massive numbers. Started in California, swept all across the country and hit Western North Carolina, Hendersonville, where I was, and students, high school, middle school, high school, college students began to flock to Jesus. It happened all over the country. It made national news. It was on the cover of newspapers and magazines for years. Those that were given their life to every kind of sin gave their life to Jesus instead. And it raised up a whole new generation of pastors, missionaries, changed the spiritual course of the history of our nation. And the man that was preaching in the church where I went that night was a man named Ian Walker. And if you haven't heard this, it's going to blow you away. His grandson is your pastor. Jay's grandfather led me to Jesus in the middle of this incredible revival movement. And I, I went from darkness to light overnight. I went from like, man, my life belongs to me and to all the stuff I want to do to my life belongs to Jesus. And, 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 and then Ian discipled me and taught me. It was just, it was amazing. I thought all there was of the Christian life was revival. Because it was all around me. Man, people were coming to Jesus left and right. We'd, we'd get out of school and out of football practice or whatever, and we'd just go start telling people about Jesus. We'd go out on the streets. We'd go knock on doors in the neighborhoods. We'd go anywhere to make sure people knew about Jesus. It was amazing. I, I remember in the late 70s, it, it, it just kind of hit a wall, and it was over. That's what happens. God's people begin to drift away again. And then I had to realize this is not always what following Jesus is like. It's not all, this is not always what it is to be a Christian, to have revival. There are long periods of time without it. But I believe we may be close to another movement that looks something like the Jesus movement that hits young people and young adults. Let me tell you why. Now, I, I wasn't gonna, gonna share this, but I, I saw it late this afternoon. I mean, just this afternoon. I haven't even read the whole article yet. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal that talks about how millennials are rethinking their lives, everything about their lives. From and A lot of millennials here, 19 to 39. How many of you are 19 to 39, all right? Look at that, a lot of millennials here, all right? Millennials are rethinking their lives. Listen to this quote. It feels as if something is withering inside of me that I cannot water fast enough. Wow. Listen, you don't have to be a millennial to feel that way these days. But when you feel that way long enough, like I don't have enough water, everything is withering. And then suddenly you sit, wait a minute over there. There's an oasis over there. You know where you're gonna go? Over there, over there. And that's what I think may happen again in our day. People are so desperate, we might be able to see again soon. I, I think if that's going to happen, we need the major themes of the Jesus movement back in, in our lives and our church today. So I, I was asked to teach um, in a conference on the Jesus movement, and I actually started thinking, what, what was it that made that season from about 68, 69 to 76 such a powerful spiritual season in the life of this country? Three things. Let me share them with you. And I think, I think if we can see this and go after it, I think we can see revival again, and, and, and we'll have that life that we've been, sometimes we've been missing. Number one, life with Jesus is meant to be a radical adventure. 
Life with Jesus is meant to be a radical adventure. It's not going to church. It's not religion. It's not learning the Bible. It's none of those things. It's a radical adventure. Man, that was it instantly for me. I I realized I've been missing out on the greatest adventure in life, and now I'm in it. And, and you know what? It's never really gone away from that. I can't imagine living life any other way than going after radical adventure with Jesus. Number two, we can't keep this life to ourselves. In the Jesus movement, we just told everybody about Jesus. We, 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 sometimes, sometimes people got tired of it, but we couldn't stop talking about Jesus because he was our adventure. He was our life. And so we made friends with people that didn't know him. We didn't cloister only among ourselves. We were always looking for people that were hurting, that were sad, that were lonely, that needed somebody to go, hey, there's, there's a great adventure. You don't have to miss it. We were, I was missing it. Now I'm not. You don't have to either. It's, it's the greatest thing in the world. And and here's the third thing that characterized that revival called the Jesus movement. We all believe this very strongly. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Now, if, if you're new to the faith, understand what the Bible teaches. Jesus came, he died on a cross, he rose from the grave to take away our sins. If we come to him by faith, we're born again. He gives us a new life and he takes us into this great adventure. But, but he also tells us that one day he's coming again and he's not coming in the same way. He's not coming to be humiliated on the cross. He's coming as a conquering king. And, and we're gonna, he's gonna come, he's gonna take his people to be with him and, and then we're gonna return with him. And you know what he says he's gonna do? He's gonna make everything right. Now just, just stop just for a moment and think of everything that's wrong right now. Think about in your own life, everything that's painful, everything that's wrong, everything that's hurtful, everything that that you can hardly imagine how you could ever forgive, and then expand that to the whole world and think of children being being slaughtered in Ukraine. Think of starvation in many places of the world. Think of the brokenness in our own country around race. Think of all the things that that are wrong and see, see this. Jesus is coming soon to make it all right every part of it right. And if that's not true, I want nothing to do with him. I'm serious. If that's not true, if, if, if I knew right now there was no second coming, I want nothing to do with him. I'm gonna live my life, die, rot in the ground. Because listen, there is so much that is wrong and unjust and evil in this world. If there's not somebody that's gonna make it right, then there's no meaning in this life. But he's kept every promise he ever made to me, to you, and to the whole world. Why would I not believe that he's gonna keep this one? Now, what if we lived like we believed these things? Can you imagine? You know what I love about this church? Every time I'm here, I see God at work. Every time I'm here, I think this church is living like they really believe that that life with Jesus is a great adventure and that we ought to tell somebody else about it. Just what we just did, just talking and sharing with each other. You know, most churches don't even do that. But, but, But I think... If there's anything that needs to just go to the next place in our church, we need to live like we really believe Jesus is coming again. Because if you believe that, then you don't have to wallow around in the anxiety and the fear that is eating this generation alive because very, very soon, everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. What if the worst thing you could imagine happened to you today? The worst thing you could imagine, but you knew five minutes from then it would be undone. C.S. Lewis used to talk about the great undoing when the Lord, when, he, when, he, when death itself is undone. Well, that's what the second coming means. If we live 
Like we believe he's coming. We can live with joy and purpose and expectancy, all of that. There was a group of people that also saw revival, but a lot longer ago than the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s. They, were, they lived in a city. We call them the Thessalonians. The Bible has two books about them. They were actually letters. We call them First and Second Thessalonians. And they were written to these believers in, in Thessalonica. Now, I don't have time to walk you through both books, but let me just tell you what's really cool about this. My wife and I have done a video series for small groups or individuals uh, about the whole book of First Thessalonians, because this is what's really cool. The people in First Thessalonians had been believers about six months. Some of you are brand new believers, okay? They had been believers about six months. And here's what Paul said. He said, everywhere we go, they're talking about you. <laughs> he said, because Jesus is moving so powerfully in you, everywhere we go, they're talking about you. He kind of joked. He said, you know, we'd like to be able to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> but maybe, could you give us a shot? <laughs> because it, you're, everything it, it, that you've done, it's spreading all over Greece, the country where Thessalonica was. And they'd known Jesus for six months. And during the time they knew Jesus, many of them were isolated, kind of quarantined, because there was terrible persecution if you came to know Jesus in their city. There was horrible, horrible racial brokenness. Can you imagine, can you imagine believing that if you touch someone in this room whose skin was a different color from you, that you would be unclean? Listen, we, we've had, we've had that's, that's been reality in our nation. That's been, and still is for some people, unfortunately. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if that's the way we had felt just a few months ago about somebody who was a, another color of skin than me? Well, that was happening all over Thessalonica because when God brought the church together, he brought Jews and Gentiles to Jesus and they would not touch each other. They would not be in the same room together and suddenly they were brothers and they were sisters. See, don't tell me God can't address the problems we face today. Oh, there were riots, by the way, in the city too. Because Jesus was shaking up the city so much, it was disturbing a lot of rich people that thought the idols wouldn't be purchased, you know, anymore in stores. So there were, there were riots and all kinds of stuff going on everywhere. And those people dealing with all of that, they changed their nation. Because they believed life with Jesus was a great adventure. They had to tell people about it. And Jesus was coming soon. And the one thing, the one thing that is overriding in First and Second Thessalonians. What does the Lord want people like that to know? People that have dealt with race, racial uh, division and, and riots in their cities and quarantines and all of these controversies and fear. What does God want people like that to know? You know what it is? The second coming. Let me just show you one passage, Second Thessalonians chapter two. And this is very specific. He's talking about an evil that will one day take, take form in a person. The Bible sometimes calls him the Antichrist, all right? Here it talks about the man of lawlessness, right? But he, he's talking to people who, who are changing their city and he wants them to know about the second coming. If it was important for them, it's important for us. Listen to this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, I love that. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. See, some of them, they were hearing rumors that maybe the Lord had already come and they missed it somehow. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. 
the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. I don't, I, I don't know if the Bible teaches this. I just believe in every generation, there's been somebody that could have been the Antichrist. And, and the Lord has just said, not yet. There's more, there's more people I want in my kingdom. Not yet. Not Hitler could have been the Antichrist. Putin could be the Antichrist. I don't know when it's gonna come, but I know there, there is a man coming who is going to be the very epitome of evil. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. We'll explain that in a minute. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Wow, the Antichrist is coming. Let's live in fear and terror and anxiety, right? No, because listen to this. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. <laughs> That's it. Imagine every single thing that you fear is a feather, okay? And it's right here. Now it's poisonous, it's deadly, it's got a, a, a feather with a stinger on the end of it, and it's floating around, coming after you. It sounds like a bad nightmare, doesn't it? Psychedelic drug or something. But just imagine, just a feather. And it's just, and it's coming after you everywhere. And, and, and Jesus steps in and he goes, enough. That is how simple it will be to solve every evil we encounter right now. Everything that brings you fear and anxiety, that's how simple it will be. He'll bring him to nothing, he says by the appearance of his coming, his coming, his coming, his coming. Can you imagine anything more important than this? Listen, it's either true or it's not true. And if it's not true, again, man, let's just go eat, drink, and be merry, rot in the ground, let the worms eat us. There's nothing that means anything. But if this is real, this ought to be the focus of our life, that Jesus is coming soon. He's gonna make all things right. So let me just, let me just walk you through for a few minutes why this matters so much. Why does the second coming someday matter so much today? Well, first of all, because the second coming can refocus us, refocus us. Now, now these, these folks in Thessalonica, they were dealing with all kinds of conspiracy theories. We don't have any of that going on these days. But all kinds of, you know, there was news and fake news and nobody knew the difference. And Paul broke it down in three, in three ways. He goes, listen, you, you've got spirits at work. You, you're, you're, you've, you're hearing words all around, all kind of words. And then, and then people have said, oh, there's a letter over here. Well, there, there were people had written letters claiming to be Paul. So what he's saying is you've got, you're dealing with evil, you're dealing with gossip, and you're watching the news. And he said, and all of that stuff is getting you off focus. So now you're running around, hey, did you hear? Somebody said that Jesus already came back somewhere else, far away. We just hadn't heard it yet. Oh, we've missed it. Oh, no. And there's, there's evil, just utter evil. Paul called it a spirit. Evil, you see it all over the world. And then watching the news and terror. And, and, and Paul says, no, no, just, just, just stop. He says, don't be shaken by all this. He says in verse three, don't let any of this deceive you. You see, in every generation, whatever we face, the Lord always has one message, follow me. Come on, come on, follow me. Come on, go with me. I know, I know, I see it all. I, I, I know, see that feather? Don't worry, come on, follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me, because one day soon, you won't have to worry about keeping your eyes on me. You'll never be able to miss me again. 
You'll see me in all my glory and power and wonder and might forever and ever and ever, and there will be no more wrong. I'll make it all right. I'll blow it all away. Every, every evil you ever know. Man, see, see how, how serious and wonderful and powerful it could be to live like we really believe? Jesus is coming again. It, it gets us on focus. No matter what's happening in the world, Jesus says then and he says now, don't be deceived, don't be shaken. Come on, follow me. And that's really cool. But to do that, we gotta get our eyes off ourselves. And it's really hard in times like these. It's hard for me. I, Jay was talking about what a weird off-rhythm week. Is. Man, it had been the same for me. I told Donna today, we, were, we, we leave to go to Michigan. This is tomorrow. The next three days are so important in our ministry. You know what I want to do? I want to sit at my house. <laughs> I, I, I know it's a privilege to do what I do. If I'm just being honest, I just want to go home and sit in my house, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I just, I just want to go home. And, and I, I feel a little of that off-rhythm. Off and and when, we, when we get to that place, we, we got to get our eyes off ourselves and say, Jesus, you're coming again. What, 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 do you, you, what do you want me to do? Where are you going and where should I follow? However I feel, can't control that, but I control what I do. I'm going to go with you. Got to get your eyes off yourself. Our, little, our granddaughters and grandsons, they always give us lots of good teaching material. And um, our granddaughter, Aubrey, um, Aubrey's what? Five? Five, yeah. Five years old. Donna is the, the, you know, the one who remembers all the, the ages. She's five years old, and she was praying <laughs> one night with her mommy and daddy, and it took him a minute to go, what? She, she said, dear Jesus, thank you so much for the wonderful children you've given to my mommy and daddy. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for me. <laughs> thank you for me. And, and that's kind of the way I live sometimes. Lord, thank you for me. You know, I want, I want things to revolve around me. And I think the Lord smiles and says, I know, I know. Come on, come on, just follow me. Whatever you feel, come and go with me. Listen, what you, um, what you focus on now is where you will be tomorrow and where this church will be tomorrow. What you focus on now, it's kind of like a railroad track, you know? That's kind of old school, but, it, you know, it, it, if the guy, you know, the conductor of the train says, hey, I think we ought to go over there and the tracks run that way, it doesn't matter what he wants. He's going that way. And what you focus on now, you're laying tracks for your future. It's where you're going to be very soon and where the church will be. So focus off self, focus on the second coming. Stop right now, just right where you are and just pray and say, Lord, focus me. Focus me on the adventure before me, telling others about you and on the fact that you're coming again to make all things right. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, second thing about the second coming, the reason it matters so much is it reunites us. This is... This chapter is all about the community of God's people. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse one, and our being ga gathered together, our being gathered together. Paul didn't go, hey, I'm the great apostle. Jesus is coming for me. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see. No, our, our, we are gonna be gathered together. Do you know what? The word gathered together is a church word. It's a worship word. I, I can show you where, it, where it's used again. By the way, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's synagogue. And that was, that was where they, the early Jewish believers worshiped, right? It, 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 he said, we're gonna be synagogued together. Okay, we're, we're, we're gonna be worshiped together when he comes again. I'll show you another place that word is used. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. He says, you're supposed to be here. 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, why? As you see the day drawing near. The closer it is to Jesus' coming, the more important it is, he says, to be community. Now, now back to 2 Thessalonians 1. He, he says, that we're asking you, brothers. And by the way, this, this Greek word doesn't mean um, an, a, a, just a man or a brother in the way we phrase it. In fact, all over the Greek language, it's used to mean men and women. It's maybe a word more like mankind. It's all of us. He's saying we are, we are gathered together and Jesus is gonna gather us and worship together. Well, if this is what heaven is gonna be, then why don't we start now? Now, every one of us needs two gatherings and we need it very, very faithfully and regularly. We need worship like this, where we get to look around and go, wow, you know, did you just see who was baptized? Did you just hear that testimony? Do you see what God is doing? And also, did you just hear that person say what they've been through? I thought I was the only one that had gone through divorce or had an abortion or had been on drugs or alcohol or dealt with, with, you know, with, with law enforcement, been to prison, any of that. You know, all of that stuff is in the body of Christ, right? And, and when we come together, we say, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. But listen, you, you need more than this. So do I. So do I. So my wife and I are, are in a community group here, and everybody here should be. You're, it, if you're not in a community group and you're wondering why your faith doesn't seem to be what you want it to be, that's it. Congratulations, you've solved the mystery. <laughs> You can't do it without small group community. You're not meant to. It's the command of God. It'll never work. You're not made for isolation. So we're gonna be gathered together to be with the Lord when he comes again. So why not, you know, why not start now to, to let him synagogue us together, to bring us together with a small group where we can be really real with each other and talk through our issues and, and, and get better and, and hold each other accountable for the great adventure and for telling others about him. And then we need to be here. You know, this, is, this needs to be a part of the rhythm of our life uh, because we're in a war, we're in a fight. Now, when I say that, you know, that evil you pictured as a feather, Jesus is gonna blow it away. Well, right now it's, it's, it's still right around us, right? The feather's floating close and, it, and it's, it's frightening sometimes. And, and this, is, this is what we're told would, would be the case. In verse, in verse three and four, he says, listen, there's gonna be this, this man of ultimate evil who's going to come. We don't have time to go through all the timeline of what the scripture teaches here, but we know that at some point before he comes again, there's gonna be a, a seven-year period of the worst tribulation in the history of the world led by this, this man of lawlessness. But here's what's important for, for us today. Verse seven says, the spirit that will fill that man called that man of lawlessness or the antichrist, it's already at work. I don't know who the Antichrist will be, but I know his spirit's wide awake and at work and a guy named Putin can't miss it, okay? But verse eight says, we know who wins. So we don't have to be afraid, but we have to be alert and aware. And we can't afford not to be together and we can't afford to be fussing with each other. And I wanna, now, I told Donna, I said, I'm not gonna spend much time on this, uh, if I preach this again at the, some of the churches we serve, I'll spend a lot of time on it because a lot of the churches we serve at Life Action are splitting and fighting and fussing left and right. Now listen, that, that is not absent here. I just don't know where it is, but I know the seeds of it are in every single church. You gotta, you gotta guard that. You gotta view anything that could cause disunity with you or a brother and a sister here as evil. 
It's more evil than whatever wrong or injustice has done to your heart. Now think about it, think about it. Jesus died for every sin in your life. What happens when somebody hurts your feelings? I can't believe they did that. I'm not sure I want to go to church with them anymore. But Jesus has forgiven every sin in your life, every sin. But it's really easy for us to get angry and mad and get our our feelings hurt. But in the body of Christ, you want to see a powerful church? You want to see a powerful church? You you be the one that says to your brother or sister, I got my feelings hurt. And and I want you to know, I'm sorry, because I shouldn't be that sensitive. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Can we talk? Because I don't want to even think this way anymore. When we start acting like that to each other, it is power power. So, so the second coming of Christ refocuses us, but it also reunites us and, and keeps us away from the selfish stuff that can ever divide us. So just stop right now. Identify, identify any war you're in, just where you are. Say, okay, Lord, this is, this is my fight right now. It, it, it might not be a disagreement with anybody else. It might be something that's evil happening in your life, something you're facing. What is it? Identify. Or maybe it is. A broken relationship, identify it. And then to say, Lord, reunite me with anyone that I need to forgive or anyone that needs to forgive me. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, for the battle that's ahead so I'll know I'll win. In Jesus' name, amen. And the last thing, last reason the second coming matters so much today is that the second coming can revive us. Revive us. Remember, I I told you the word revive means life again. What kind of life? What kind of life are we after today? We see what is excused for life going on in the world around us, and it's a mess. This is so cool. Back in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 10, it's talking about um, uh, the, the Lord's coming. And it says that he will, that when he comes again, that his people his people will marvel at him. The word means astonished, be astonished at him. So if we're gonna live all of eternity astonished by Jesus, why don't don't we start living that way now? You see, revival, life again, is life astonished by Jesus. Life astonished by Jesus, that's the great adventure. Now listen, every single one of you is made to be an influencer. Did you know that? Man, we're we're in a strange day. You know, that, that, that word, it can be a controversial word. I think it's a wonderful word. I mean, do you realize, do you realize whether you're talking about somebody that's an online influencer or talking about somebody else I'll show you in just a moment that's maybe a few steps up there? Okay, what, how, why would we not want the ability to influence people online instantly all over the world for good? Sure, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that do the opposite. You know, you know whose problem that is? That's ours, not theirs. Let's take the opportunity God puts before us with things like social media and use them for his glory. But there's, there, there's a way to be an influencer that's far more important than anything that'll ever happen through a social media influencer. I'll show you a picture. Look up at the screen and look at this, look at this, this picture. And now be honest with me. How many of you knew who this was oh, about uh, a month ago? How many of you would have said, I know who this was maybe six weeks ago, a month ago? A few of you, a few of you, you guys are the historians and the, and, and, and the, but, but, but most people didn't. But this is the president of Ukraine. Everybody knows who he is today. You know, that bastion of Christianity, Vogue magazine, okay, 
you know, that was a joke, has written about this guy. And I was reading it the other day, and this is what they said about, about Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. They said, how is it possible that one man, most people have never even heard of him until now, one man is changing the entire geopolitical structure of the world. He's changing banking and government decisions all over the world simply through being brave. That's all. That's it. Now, let me ask you, do you think this guy wakes up today and says, God, I, I've got a wife and two children. I'm really excited that, that uh, some people in Russia are trying to kill me every day. I'm not even worried about it. I'm not afraid at all. Don't you believe that? This man's a human being, and that'll terrify him to think about being, being away from his wife and his children and dying, possibly leaving them behind. Bravery is not the lack of fear. It's what you do when you are afraid. Here's this one guy. He's a television actor. <laughs> and he gets a way out. From our own government, we'll rescue you. We'll come get you. You got to get out of there. You can't be killed. You're too important. He goes, what are you talking about? Battle's here. I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. All of you know it. All of you know it. See, because technology now has given us the opportunity to influence the whole world just like that. And one guy has done it. Just, I don't care. I, you know, you can say, oh, I don't, I don't like this about Ukraine. Or what, I don't care about any of that. This one guy influenced the whole world through simply saying, I'm not going anywhere. See, let me tell you, I'm, this is where I'm standing, right here. Here's where the battle is. I don't want to die. I want to leave my family. But this is where I stand. And if you do that, in whatever way God calls you to, you'll be an influencer as well. And you, you might change generations. You may never know it. Maybe the world won't talk about you. But there's no limit to what God can do through one person anymore. The only limit is what we put on ourselves. Believing that Jesus is coming again can bring revival to your life and your family in this church. It's happening all over the world. Donna and I get to go all over the world and we see things that she'll tell you a story in a minute. So amazing. We see and experience things that we cannot believe. God is rocking the world right now in places like Iran and, 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 and North Korea, places where there is nothing for you as a Christian but suffering and death. But Jesus is so real. And you know what the people in Iran and Syria and North Korea and Afghanistan, by the way, the two fastest places in the world where Christianity is growing today, number one, Iran, number two, Afghanistan. Can you believe that? Greatest suffering places in the world. You know what they believe there? Life with Jesus is a great adventure. We have to tell everybody because Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. We don't have to live in a place of that kind of suffering to just believe those things and live like it. And then we'll see revival too. But we're on a knife's edge here. I, I don't know. Most of the churches in this country don't look like they're gonna make it, not long-term. We, we have to decide. And the Lord can do great things with a remnant. We might lose 70, 80, 90% of the churches in this country over the next 20 years. But the Lord has always done his best work with small remnants of people that say, whatever anybody else does, I'm gonna live the great adventure for Jesus. I'm gonna tell about it to everybody I can. And I'm gonna believe Jesus is coming and I'm gonna center my life around that belief. Will you be that? I'll move toward a finish here. Something very strange in verse six and seven. He says, he says there's something restraining, someone restraining the Antichrist. Remember I said, in every generation, somebody could have been the Antichrist. 
Why, why has that not happened? Someone's restraining it. Now, most scholars, because it says someone, there's only one person this could, could be. This is the Spirit of God. And, and, and the word used here for restrain is very interesting. And this is, this is where Donna and I ha- had this very unusual thing happen. I was studying this passage and God was working in my heart um, for this message. And, and I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. This word restrain, that the Holy Spirit is restraining the Antichrist. Also, it's used in another way. It, it, it's also translated hold fast. So, so, so the word means God right now is holding fast the Antichrist. He's saying, no, not yet. It's holding fast on this evil spirit that will one day fill a man. He says, not yet, not yet. And then he says, one day he'll, be, he'll, he'll, he'll get out of the way. He'll step out of the way and the Antichrist will rise up. When is that? A lot of scholars think that's the rapture of the church. When, when the Lord takes his people home and there's seven years left of history without the church. Now, not everybody believes that's the way the timeline will, will, will work. I tend to believe that that is. But I, I'm not so sure that's what he's talking about here. I don't think it'll take the rapture for the restrainer to step away, for the Holy Spirit to go, I, I gotta step away now from my own people. You know what it takes? It takes God's people grieving him and resisting him and giving them self to self long enough for the spirit of God to say, I love you, but I can't stay. I'm gonna step away now and I'm gonna let you do your thing. And you know what? We're seeing it in churches across this nation that are splitting and dividing and declining and collapsing and going about business as usual while the world's on fire. That means we got a big, big decision to make. Every one of us, every day, Lord, I get to choose. You're holding fast to a spirit of evil to keep him from being able to rule. And Lord, I get to choose whether to let go of you and go my own way or whether I hold fast to you. Donna, would you, would you come up? Because we were talking about this and Donna said, God's been speaking to me about a phrase in the Bible. So what is it? She said, hold fast. I nearly fainted. I needed to hold fast to something because she was looking at the same stuff I was and we didn't know it. And I said, you just need to share this because it's, it's powerful. So I wanted to share a little bit about how we hold fast. So we were both studying the same kind of word here and we didn't know it. And then we went, oh my goodness. So basically in my life, I was having some changes going on and different things going on in my life. And the, I heard the hymn, the old hymn, and you might not have ever heard this hymn before. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I began to research the word hold fast. In Hebrews, it says several times to hold fast to hope. And the Lord said, so you need to quit holding fast to anything but hope. In Luke, Jesus says, hold fast to my word. And I'm like, okay, so I need to hold fast to his word. First Thessalonians, it says, hold fast to what is good. So I need to hold fast to what is good. And then in 2 Thessalonians, it says, hold fast. Paul says, hold fast to my teachings. Hold fast to what you know to be true, what you've seen in my life. And so one day I was just sitting there thinking about me holding fast to the Lord and him holding fast to me. And all of a sudden I had this picture in my mind. Um, I'd seen it in a movie somewhere where this lady had gotten knocked out of a boat 
And she swims to this buoy and she's holding onto this buoy and the waves are crashing over her and pretty soon she's going to drown. And a guy comes up to the boat and he reaches out his hand and he says, take, take my hand, take my hand, take my hand. And she won't do it. She won't let go of this buoy. And I felt like the Lord saying, don't I, that's you. You would rather hold fast to your anxiety. You would rather hold fast to what you worry about, your position, your financial position, worrying about your children, um, worrying about shame, whatever. You're holding fast to everything but me. You've got to let go of this and you've got to take my hand. And then I found two verses in Psalms where the Lord says to hold his, that he will take hold of my right hand and that I'm to take hold of his hand. And I just thought, Lord, everything in my life seems to be shaken up, but I need to hold on to you. And then I went to Armenia and I met a lady named Noreen. And it was at the end of a long service, a Russian-Armenian service. We went down into this deep, dark basement to have tea. And to be honest with you, I wasn't in a good mood. I was like tired, jet-lagged, and I just wanted to get out of there. But the missionary came up and said, Donna, I need you to meet Noreen. And she sat across from me, and she spoke perfect English, and she glowed with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever met anybody that just walked so close to Jesus, it's just like they're glowing. That was Noreen. And she said, let me tell you my story. And I said, okay. She said, in 1988, I lived in a city outside of the capital of, in Armenia. The capital of Armenia is Yerevan. And she said, in 1988, I was five years old. And on December the 7th, a 6.8 earthquake hit my city. She said, before the earthquake hit my city, she said, my mom and dad were successful. We lived in a really nice house. We had a nice business. The 6.8 earthquake, according to the records, killed almost 50,000 people, and it leveled their home, and it leveled their business. And the way the Russian-Armenia government handled that tragedy was they gave Noreen's family a shipping container to live in. And for 18 years, Noreen lived in a shipping container. But it just so happened that that shipping container was placed in one of the only left standing buildings in the area. And in that standing building, a small group of believers met. And those believers began to love on Noreen and her family. And Noreen became a believer. And eventually her mom and dad became a believer. And she said, now we live here in the, in the area of, of Yerevan, and we travel, get this, because when she said this, I began to tear up thinking about believers in America. She said, every Sunday, it takes us an hour to get to church. An hour. They travel an hour by train and bus to go worship Jesus. And here's what just got me thinking about the whole fast thing. She said, I wake up every morning and I thank God for that earthquake. Because without that earthquake and the shaking of my life and God just removing things in my life that I was holding on to, I would never have met Jesus. And when I heard that story, my thought and my prayer was, Lord, things are so weird and they've gotten weirder in the last couple of months. 
Lord, would you shake everything out of my life? Would you remove everything out of my life except for yourself so that I can just hold fast to you and let go of everything else? So you feel uh, the earthquake, right? We, we all have our own. And uh, if you feel yours right now, that's all right. That's all right. But let it take you to Jesus. As the earthquakes around us, we get to decide. Will we hold fast to self and fear and anxiety and spirits and gossip and news? Or to the one who will one day blow all evil away and make all things right. He's the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death. He's the Lord of you and everything you face. Hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. Because Jesus is coming soon. Lord, help us to live like that, like we really believe it. Because it changes everything. And Lord, as, uh, as Don and I get on a plane and go to, to meet with folks who are coming from all over the place to say, what do we do now? What can we do together? What should ministries be doing? What should churches be doing? What should God's people be doing now? Help us, Lord, to hold fast and to do what you've put before us with the knowledge that you're coming again. And may each of us live that way and respond now to you to get us ready for that. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming. We are ready to see you soon. In Jesus' name.